Hello, welcome back to Murder and Mediumship. I'm your host, Catherine, psychic medium, self-worth coach, and true crime addict. If this is your first time listening, or if you're a regular listener of Murder and Mediumship, I'd like to number one ask that you give this a five-star rating and review on iTunes so that each victim's story can be heard by more listeners. And number two, I'd like to say that anything you hear on this show will have source materials linked in show notes, and my feelings on each case are based on intuitive hits and downloads. Everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law, and this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Every episode comes with a trigger warning as we discuss themes of violence, sometimes sexual violence, and sometimes suicide. Before I get to this case, I want to invite you all to check out Catherine Ann Intuitive on Patreon. There we share weekly energy updates, monthly energy reads, journaling prompts, interviews with murderers or celebrities who have passed and are on the other side, as well as monthly self-care workshops. Join us September 28th for our interview with Marilyn Monroe. And thank you for helping to support the show and spreading the voices of those who have lost theirs. For this episode, we're actually going to do something a little bit different with the unsolved homicide of Charlene Holmes. This time, I'm going to let you all know what it is that I saw and then what I found in my research. So this is actually a pretty raw um, explanation of exactly what came to me as I was feeling into everything and the words and, and the little pieces and the little hits that came about, okay? Before connecting this time, I wanted to see who would come to me rather than looking for a name. So I lay down on my bed with my dog, Winnie. And I asked my guides, who am I supposed to connect with next? And I very, very clearly heard the name Charlene. When it happens quickly for me like that, it still kind of throws me off. No matter how long I've been connecting for spirit, I still get surprised with how all of this works for me. And I kind of laughed and thought, okay, that's a little crazy. I'm going to need a location here. And I heard Boston. So now I'm kind of taken aback a little bit because this was quick. And I mean, it's quick during readings, but when I sit down to do this, it's always a different feeling that I have and a different energy that I take with me because the sincerity is just a different level. And I know that I'm going to see things that aren't pleasant to see and to witness. So I always come into it with a much more sincere, um, I don't really know the word for it, with a, a more sincere position about it though ready to see whatever it is that may be disturbing that I wouldn't normally see during a a regular connection. So I kind of laughed when I heard Boston and I thought, like I said, you know, that's just crazy. There's no way that it's coming to me this clearly. So I sat with this and before looking for a photo or anything, and as you know, if you've been around here for a while, I like to have a photo to kind of look at this person, look at their eyes, especially. And sometimes it takes more than one photo because the eyes are going to look different, or maybe they're more telling in one photo versus another, or it's just easier to connect with. So before I even found a photo, before I went looking for one, I saw three brick steps leading up to a house and a small front porch area, very lightly colored house. And it was definitely on a city street, but it didn't seem like an unclean or a bad area. And I heard like, pop, 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 three or four gunshots and saw one girl fall and one girl scream and a young male scrambling. And in my mind, I heard tires. I thought, okay, so she was shot. That part was obvious. And then I could hear someone yelling, Charlene, almost like it was a, like it was a yell, but I'm still not really quite sure if it was yelled prior to the shooting or if it was more of a reaction for those around her after it happened. And like I said, this is all before I did any research as well, okay? 
So I saw an older model, darker vehicle, like a dark blue or a black, maybe like a darker gray. And then I heard a female's voice in spirit say, and this, this voice was not something that would have been said at the time of the shooting, but it was like having Charlene there with me saying, he did it. They know he did it, but they can't do nothing about it. And I just keep hearing over and over. They can't do nothing about it. They can't do nothing about it. And after sitting with this for a little bit longer, I heard brother, but I wasn't really sure what to make of that either. And if you've had a reading with me too, you also know that what you hear, what someone who is reading for you hears isn't necessarily for them. It's for you, the person sitting for the reading. So it doesn't always have to make sense to us. So with this kind of thing, when I'm feeling into something and I don't have anything other than research to prove anything, if there's something that happened, but it hasn't been documented, yes, it's harder to verify. So it's just trusting that I saw the right thing and that I'm able to connect with what we're supposed to be taking from it. So I'm not sure if it was someone's brother or if it was like there was a dispute with a brother or if brother even meant blood relative or not. But I felt like the person who was shooting, there was a relation with brother of some sort, whether it was like a friend who was no longer a friend. I'm not really sure, like I said. So the next hits that came to me were something about a financial dispute and then something about a child being involved. And then cue the research that I started to do. At this time, I didn't know until I started researching that the victim was actually only 16 years old. So there's the child. This isn't always a small child. This is still a child, right? So on Friday, June 8th, 2012, around 8 p.m., Charlene Holmes was walking down Willow Street in the Cambridge, Boston, Massachusetts area with her older sister, Shantae. And they had just approached the steps of 3436 Willow Street. And Charlene was chatting with a friend of hers who, listen, I'm going to try to pronounce her name correctly. It is spelled a little bit differently than I would be used to seeing, but I believe this name, this friend's name was Tanya Lee. If I'm mispronouncing it and someone here is familiar with the story or with the name, then please correct me because names are a big deal and I don't want to mispronounce it. But she was chatting with a friend of hers who we will refer to as Tanya Lee as Tanya Lee braided the hair of a male friend whose name is unknown. It was unknown to the public in 2012 and in 2021, it remains to be unknown. Little did Charlene know that a black four-door sedan, a Nissan, had already circled the block once and slowed down to open fire toward the porch of 3436 Willow Street. It was then that Charlene fell to the ground as her sister Shantae ran back just a few doors down to scream for her parents that her baby sister had been shot. A neighbor, Cheryl Hall, who was already crossing the street to talk to Charlene, ran across the street and begged her to stay with them. That help was coming and she had to pull through. Tanya Lee was also shot and had been in critical condition, but she lived through her injuries. And when Cheryl Hall recalls this in an interview... She talks about, and it it wrenches at your heart when she says it, but she talks about how she could feel Charlene's hand go limp in hers while she held her. The thing about cases like this is that they don't receive enough attention outside of their local news outlets, and that's if they're lucky that they get the local news. Finding more than a few articles about them is nearly impossible. No national news headlines are found highlighting teenage girls who are gunned down in drive-by shootings even if it is in a safer part of town. And before you begin to paint the image that one would expect in a drive-by shooting, 
Charlene was living in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Her homicide was the only homicide in Cambridge in all of 2012. The only homicide in 2012, an entire year. And still, there are only a few stories to be found from local news networks. That being said as well, I did notice in my research that there was very little to be read after about 2017, and I'm wondering if next year, June of 2022, will be the 10-year anniversary, if we'll see more being printed again. But as of now, the most recent articles were 2017, which is also heartbreaking because I realized that this is a very local case in that talking about it nationally maybe wouldn't help it get solved, but her name deserves to be said and people deserve to know that stuff like this is happening even in good areas. And these these women, these children, these girls, they're not being talked about in the way that other women would be. So Deputy Superintendent Paul Ames of the Cambridge Police Department was quoted to say, to have a drive-by shooting in that neighborhood was just not the norm. And of course, I'll post in the show notes, as I always do, all of my sources. But this you were actually able to hear him say on a an amateur documentary that was done about this. I believe it was by a friend of hers in the area. But it's just so devastating that police really thought that they wouldn't have an issue in solving this. They thought it would be like an open and closed case that someone would talk and they would be okay. And there were multiple witnesses to this crime, but no one will come forward. And I do believe that this is what Charlene was referencing when I heard he did it. They know he did it, but they can't do nothing about it. And it was just this like emphasis on do nothing about it. And I would venture to say that the boy in the steps getting his hair braided knows exactly who did it. And from what I understand, it was actually his house that he was sitting on the steps of when the shots were fired. The shooters were looking for someone. And when they saw that someone, they locked in and they shot. The problem is that the person they were aiming for wasn't hit at all. And police won't say that this person getting his hair braided was the intended target, as they probably don't have enough evidence to make such a statement. However, they have also said that they don't believe that the girls were the intended target either. Charlene was pronounced dead at the hospital, and her family said goodbye to watching their precious little girl living out her dreams of graduating high school and going to college for nursing. She was known to everyone as extremely intelligent, hardworking, family-oriented, and all around a very sweet girl with a huge heart and a very bright future. It was very clear that she was not involved in any sort of drug or alcohol use, and she kept her focus where it belonged, on school and on her family. Not long after her death, a rumor began circulating that she'd been pregnant when she was shot, which proved to be untrue. Regardless of whether or not she was pregnant, it blows my mind the way that rumors start about those who were taken too early from us, as if her being pregnant would have made any difference to her character or how awful it was the way that she was taken from this world all too soon. The irony of her death was not lost on her family. As Charlene actually advocated for ending the violence in neighboring communities, and the violence is exactly what took her life. I'm sure that it's been speculated And perhaps this is why no answers have been found so far. But to me, this feels like bad aim and a gang hit. The kid getting his hair braided is what ties back to my first hit of this having to do with something financial. This is where my intuitive opinion steps in. And there's nothing to verify this. But I feel that he owed someone money and that he owed the wrong someone money. 
No one will talk to the police because of their fear of repercussions from said gang, but the boy getting his hair braided has been described as troubled and scared his neighbors and peers, according to an article written for CCTV Cambridge. The Monday after Charlene was shot, her family received a phone call that confirmed for her parents that she was not a part of the, quote, gang out there. This phone call was only referenced once that I could find, but I would be interested in knowing more about its origin. I believe it was an unofficial piece of information provided by law enforcement, but I have no way of verifying that. That same Monday, investigators searched the home of 3436 Willow Street, the home of the boy getting his hair braided, and were seen removing bags of evidence, but would not comment on what was found in the home. I do not believe that anything necessarily connected dots to Charlene's death, but the items would have further supported the belief that it was likely retaliation and that Charlene was definitely not involved in any sort of illegal or dangerous activities. Their neighbor, Cheryl Hall, the one who held her hand as she passed, speaks of that day and how she was right there when it happened. She remembers Charlene ducking but still getting hit, and she remembers Shantae running home while she herself ran across the street to Charlene and held her hand and cried for her to stay with them. Cheryl was crossing the street to tell Charlene about her grandson hitting a home run during his baseball game at the field across the street. Earlier in that day, Charlene had told him to hit a home run, and Cheryl was so excited to share the news with her. Charlene genuinely cared about her community and those close to her. She was what 16-year-old takes the time to stop and talk to little kids like that and tell them good luck and hit a home run during the game, and the field that he was playing in was actually right across the street from where she was shot and killed. The boy hasn't come forward with really any information, which is heartbreaking to say the least, because you have to think that he knows who would be out looking to seek revenge on him in such a prolific way. After her death, her father made a public plea saying, somebody knows something, but everybody is intimidated. I know how the streets are. No one wants to talk and get involved. And I believe that you would end that that sentence also with the idea that not only does no one want to get involved, but they don't want to get involved because they're afraid of what will happen to them if they do. It sounds to me, and it feels to me, as if this boy who was supposed to be killed was someone who, like I said, owed probably drug dealers money, but he was in on the wrong side with these people. And I really, really do believe that if they hadn't gone after him then, they would have got him another time anyway. It's it's so unfortunate that Charlene had literally just stopped to talk and that's what ended her life. Had she kept walking that day? Had she gone a different way? Had she done anything differently? And God knows maybe she would still be here. Still though, nine years later, no one comes forward. They're no closer to solving her case and only because the person they need to speak up won't say a word. They won't give up hope though, as there are so many potential witnesses out there who just need the right moment to lead them to a change of heart in speaking out with any information that they may have about who killed Charlene, the 16-year-old with a heart filled with love and light. On the fifth anniversary of her death, Detectives involved in the case still kept a photo of Charlene at each of their desks. They spoke of how devastating this case was and continues to be for them, and that without more information from witnesses, there's nothing more that they can do at this time other than hold out hope that more information will be brought to the light. All unsolved homicide cases remain open, and they still hope to solve her case. I believe that someone will eventually confess to her murder, but it won't be because she is arrested excuse me, because he is arrested for it. 
I believe he'll own it as something else he can add to his rap sheet. And I don't believe that this person was a member of the Cambridge community, but was someone who was in the area area solely for the purpose of gunning down the boy with the braided hair. If I had to put a number on when her case would be solved, I hear 2023. It'll come as information from someone looking for leverage and getting a lighter sentence for themselves. And like I said, the person guilty of it is only going to confess to it because I feel like at this point, he's probably already in prison and really doesn't have anything else to lose. Members of the public with information that believe may be helpful to the investigation may contact Massachusetts State Police at 781-897-6600 or Cambridge Police at 617-349-3300. Anonymous tips may also be sent via text message by sending a text to tip411. Begin your message with tip 650 and then type your message. You will receive a response from the Cambridge police with the option to continue communicating. Share her story. Spread spread whatever you can about this poor young girl who lost her life all too soon in her family, her friends, a community that continues to suffer for it. There are many people who still live in that area who even talked about how they can't walk on that sidewalk in front of that house because all they can think of is Charlene laying there. These people's lives were forever changed, and if you can do anything to alleviate any of that, please leave a tip with the police department and share with them what you know. I know it's been in the news, Gabby Petito's death and the disappearance of her boyfriend, Brian Laundrie, and I want to take just a second to talk about why I haven't really been um, going public on what I think happened there. Number one, this is such a fresh case that Letting anyone know what I think happened or what I feel happened doesn't really feel appropriate to me. Um, Number two, her case is garnering national headlines. So I don't feel that my voice is going to be all that helpful or add anything to the conversation that isn't already being had. I think it's really important that this show continues to highlight cases that have not received proper attention and that do deserve that attention. But something about Gabby's case that does hit very close to me and will always hit very close to me is the idea of how intricately domestic violence and abuse was involved in this relationship and how educating ourselves and police departments on what to look for in abuse cases like this is so important. So the month of October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And when I was only 21 years old, I got married very young to a man who was abusive mentally and emotionally and eventually physically. I was fortunate enough to leave when it got physical, but just watching Gabby's body language and seeing what was going on with her and being able to feel that fear and that anxiety that she had within and the way that she excused her behavior and blamed herself for it, sent me back to a place that I recall being in all too well. So if you or someone you know is experiencing domestic violence, please do not be afraid to reach out to local authorities, to shelters, to whomever you can to get the help that you need because you deserve better. You deserve to live better. You deserve to breathe easily. And you deserve to know your own worth. And with that being said, I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Murder and Mediumship. 
and moving into October, you will be seeing more cases featuring domestic violence throughout the duration of the month. Thank you again for listening, and I'll catch you all next time on Murder and Mediumship.